0: Welcome to The Look Back, my pandemic podcast. The one I started a few months back, sort of in the mid-period of the pandemic, just to help myself from going insane, but these are crazy times still in 2021. Anyways, I find some time to grab some interesting, intelligent, insightful people that I worked with back in the day just to catch up with them, see what they're doing, where they're at in their day. Um, how they're doing, kind of a check-in, but also the thought of having them share some of their thoughts and experiences and a look back at their career and what they see today. Happy Friday! Welcome Definitely. to look back, Kareen Schneider. Good to be here, Keith. It is so wonderful to have you on the podcast. You've been dodging me for a while. <laughs> um listen this is this is really fun I mean the the truth be told to my audience at least I've known you for quite a while we go back um way too far back but um the kids in schools and coaching basketball as uh yeah, yeah. As, uh, as one of our intersection points that I look back on fondly and there's been a bunch of others which I won't belabor um but um, you're working now as the as the head of Estrella which is part of AST, um, Financial Services, and uh, this private company services. That's all fantastic. Now, the truth also there is I've, I've known this company quite well. I have a certain <laughs> perspective into the business. Um, but before we delve into that, a little bit on you that I know. You've, you've had a wonderful sort of Silicon Valley journey and really one of the truly great leaders in the early days of the financial services space. I mean, before there was fintech, which is all the rage today in the last year and, or so, there was financial services and the, and the, um, and the equity management and, um, and those kinds of roles. And, and you go back a ways. I don't want to date ourselves here, but I remember your story about being on the Oracle IPO software team. Yeah. And um, some great stops um, between uh, now and then, including the NASDAQ private markets and establishing a lot of this stuff. So your experiences have been tremendous. And it's um, it's a great testament to you as a leader in a time where, um, you know, things were uh, very different in terms of the makeup of those companies and the way things were built and run. And you were very successful in that. And now you're off doing essentially a software startup, um and I want to hear a little bit about estrella but before I do that I want to also say congratulations I understand you just got a daughter married off yes yes I have a a new son-in-law is the way to look at it I guess okay. yeah <laughs> oh that, that's a child <laughs> i' I'm, I'm, I'm a little jealous I mean that's fantastic she's yeah. a wonderful uh young woman and uh boy that's nice to have that uh checkbox.
1: I cannot tell you. Yes. Yes. It is exhausting. It (laughs)
0: is exhausting. Congratulations. And then talk about a double header. Now you gave birth to your first book. You're you're an author now.
1: Yeah. It's um, something I've always wanted to do. Uh, And I've, I've been working actually on a mystery murder mystery book for a long time. And then this 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 book about just what was going on in the private markets it just kind of you know it was just time, and it hit me and all the things kind of lined up that I needed all the resources and the support and folks were fantastic with their time and in, in giving us interviews and sharing with us their thoughts I mean so these are pretty valuable thoughts that people have about how to make things better and so I it just happened very quickly wow. and I'm really excited about
0: it. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into that. I I do see a potential merger in your future, both the murder mystery and the fintech industry. <laughs> tremendous potential there. But tell us a little bit about Estrella. What is Estrella? What do they do? And you, let me hear it from your um, there yeah.
1: Yeah, well, as you said, I, I've been around a long time. I always think I'm kind of the Forrest Gump of, uh, of Silicon Valley. I just kind of was in the right time and the right places. And, you know, going through the Oracle IPO was was interesting. It was really my first experience to see a private company move to, to the public listing and what that meant for all the people who worked for it. And it, it was a significant um, impact on people's lives and on the company and where it was going. So that's where things started. And I've, I've always lived in the Silicon Valley. So I've kind of watched all the ups and downs and you know the the, the dot-com era. And, and I remember having, I was working for a guy out in the East Coast and he flew out I think in 2000 and we're having dinner and he says, I don't understand why you're still working for us. Like, why aren't you starting your own pets.com or something and, you know, going that way? And I remember thinking, yeah, good question. I don't know why I'm still working for you Um, because everyone was starting a company. So I watched all of that. Um, Fast forward, I I do start my own company and I go through and I um, and I raise money. And what I, what I found, I mean, that was just the PhD of learning how the private markets were at work. Um, we brought in sophisticated investors, government investors, professional investors, and I very quickly misunderstood how the cap table worked. And um, as, a, as a kind of a first-time founder, I thought I was pretty sophisticated. We had good lawyers and good advisors. But when it came down to it, I didn't understand some of the things that were happening. And as we were taking on more investment, I didn't understand how that was impacting those shareholders that I had asked to contribute early on in the company to the employees and myself. So what Australia does is basically takes all those learnings and says, you know, a founder needs to understand these things and needs, first of all, a place to just store all this information because spreadsheets are just notoriously bad. They get corrupted. They get lost. They're incorrect. They don't get updated, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can't really, um, really track what the, what the decisions were made. Let's say you and your co-founder, you know, you kind of, everyone's happy at the beginning, but it's like a marriage right down the road, things can change. So, one is you got to store all the information. but then two, you got to share that information with the people who've just written you a check. Like when I do an investment, and I write a twenty five thousand dollars check. Nothing pisses me off more than somebody just never coming back to me again and saying, "Oh, here's what you bought and here's what you bought it at, and here's you know how many shares you own. And so so the second part is is you know you really need to communicate what people own to people. And they need to have access to that. And the third thing is, as a founder, you really need to understand what future events can do to the shareholdings of everybody, yourself included. So what Estrella does is it does it solves all those problems. It allows you to track your cap table, allows you to track your employee's stock plan, allows you to communicate with all the stakeholders what they own, what documents they've signed, you know everything that's relevant to them. And lastly, it allows you to model model future investment rounds, model potential exits, um, all the things that are important. And so that you're really clear where things stand. So at that day, when someone comes and says, I want to buy your company, or it's time to go public, there's no major surprises in terms of what your, your ownings are in that company. And, and so that's what Estrella does.
0: Well, this seems brilliant. It also seems sort of obvious that every company needs this. Why would you not have a cab table that has some kind of robust technology behind it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's kind of I, I would say the cobbler's children type of thing. So when I talk to a lot of founders, this is the last thing they spend time on. You know, they're trying to build a company, hire people, get investors, get their product to market. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the most important thing.
0: And the most important thing is they're working for equity, they're working to maintain yeah. as much ownership for yeah. them and their their key stakeholders, their employees, essentially. Yeah. I think part of it
1: is is time. Part of it is, you know, they're afraid they don't, they've never done this before. So we've tried to make the system very intuitive and easy to use so that it shouldn't take you, if you've got a, a simple cap table of, let's say 10 investors or less, it should take you no more than 15 or 20 minutes to get everything in the system. And if you don't know how you call us and we help you, there's no charge. We help you, you know, put it into the system because you want to start day one. You want to start correct.
0: So perfect for startups, series C, A, B. What about the later stage companies? Do they have later stage, you know, series C or D? Are they interested in working with Estrella also?
1: Yeah, yeah. Some of our clients are um, have gone public or are about to go public, um, are very large, you know, have hundreds or thousands of stakeholders. So the system is designed to work with any population. I think as you get more mature, there's different things you need from the system. And so one of the things we've done is to modularize the pricing so that if you're a young company, you don't pay for all the sophisticated tools you don't need yet. And if you're a more mature private company, then there are things like the financial accounting reports that you need and some other things that you're going to need that are for a more sophisticated, larger company, then you pay for that
0: when you're ready. That sounds great. I'd like to dig in deeper to that, but I want to get to the real Focus on why I reached out to you because I think you have um, captured a really interesting topic with my favorite new book. Where do I see it? I, I can't get Anyway, the democratization of the private market. Corinne, tell me about this title. Let's just, and, and, the, and essentially the theme of the book, because it's one of those things that I think once we start talking a little bit about it, a lot of people will recognize it as a challenge and an opportunity.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's a big word, and I know it makes me me look super smart when I use it, but really what it means is the private market has been very clicky. It's really been who you know, and you and I live out in the Silicon Valley, so we can go to a party or a restaurant or a coffee shop, and we'll run into people we know, and they'll say, hey, you know, I got this great company, and do you want to invest? And I mean, I don't know how many of these you get a week, but, you know, I get plenty. So we're in the know. We're, we're We're in the right place. But there are a lot of people out there who hear about Robinhood going public or Uber going public. And they say, gee, I wish I was one of those early um, shareholders. So unless I work for the company, I guess I'm kind of out of luck and I have to wait until it hits the public market. And when it hits the public market, many times that major ramp up in value is gone. So the book is really about what's going on in the market today, what, how does it, how does it function today, and where can it go, and what are the changes we need to make in order for more mainstream investors who qualify to participate in investing in companies that are not yet publicly listed anywhere in the world. Um, so that's really what the book is talking about. How do we in- increase that opportunity for all people, not just people who live in Menlo Park or Palo Alto or, you know, are belong to the right country club or whatever, you know, let's really make this, um, let's democratize it.
0: So what are the things holding that back right now? I, I understand that this is just evolutionary, but I guess I'm looking at it and saying, well, I see a few things that are happening in a positive direction with, um crowdfunding platforms perhaps is one example. But on the other hand, um, there's a lot of regulation and compliance requirements that are, that are needed or that have to be followed. Um, what do we do about those?
1: Yeah, well, one of the, you know, there certainly are some regulatory changes that need to be made. And in the previous administration and this administration, it's certainly being discussed. I think I think the administration and, and at least the political parties here in the United States understand how important the private market is for job creation and, and how positive it is to the economy and growth. Um, but there are some, some changes that need to be made and they can't be made overnight. So one of them is the accredited investor definition. Um, when, when you, you know, in my book, I talked to a number of people about what they think. And one of the quotes I thought was really good was, you know, you could get a doctor out of med school who has tons of student loans, lives in an apartment, you know, just starting out his medical career, doesn't earn a lot of money, but sure knows a hell of a lot more about medical devices than you or I would ever know. And we're probably accredited investors. So why can that person not invest in a medical device company or, you know, whatever, a drug company, when you and I who know nothing and don't have medical degrees, we can. And so there's some some inherent problems with how people are defined as accredited investors. And, you know, there's always a saying in the, uh, in the securities world about big boy letters, you know, signing a letter that says, I know what I'm doing. And so we make some recommendations in the book about how to change the accredited investor definition. Um, There's also a lot of discussion around how technology is changing the ability for people worldwide to find out about these opportunities and then to participate.
0: I was going to ask you, I think um, the whole area of DeFi, blockchain, crypto, I mean, that certainly has to weigh into some of, some of these changes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I talked to a lot of the, the um, founders of those companies, and there's probably 20 companies I'm talking to right now who are doing different things in the ecosystem, but they're fired up. They're like, look, blockchain really makes a difference in terms of knowing who owns it and and the speed of light in terms of moving ownership. You know, Today in the public market, it takes three days to settle a trade. Um, In the private market, these guys are saying, we could could sell this in seconds. And then moving money around is also pretty simple now, you know, with with crypto and some of these other things. I will tell you, this scares the regulators, because when this stuff is happening at the speed of light, really in the cloud, how do you ensure that people aren't getting ripped off? How do you make sure the mainstream investor isn't getting themselves in something that's going to hurt them substantially? You know, how do you protect them? Because that's what the SEC is there for.
0: Yeah. Interesting. There's this whole infrastructure really uh, around the private markets and supporting that. And you're looking at, I don't know about taking, um, you know, one brick out or just taking the whole thing down and re-architecting this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody who said, really what the private market is looking at is all the infrastructure and tools and solutions that the that the public market has already created. So as you as time goes on as we see this metamorphosis happen you'll see more and more products that we use in the public market like you know etfs or you know funds uh, mutual funds or some of these other things that are really great products and services for public company shareholders well let's emulate that in the private world and why not and i think that the only thing that's holding it back now um, are some regulatory concerns that people have. But I'll tell you, for every regulatory concern, there's probably 10 entrepreneurs who are saying, full speed ahead, I'm going to do this. I'm going to see what happens. I'm ready to go. And so it's really an exciting time.
0: It, It sounds and I'm hearing more and more about the movement in this direction. And I think a lot of people are not aware of the opportunities that are happening in the private market, that they're just not even you know, aware of or thinking that they can take advantage of it, but with some of your thoughts and recommendations, uh, maybe that does happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea, um, you know, we one of the guys I interviewed, uh, Ami Ben David, uh, he's built a digital securities marketplace. Um, he's based in London. And he, you know, he talks about the, how long it took for the um, for a mobile phone to become ubiquitous. You know, when we first heard, I remember hearing about a mobile phone for the first, I'm like, why do I need it? I got, got a phone on my desk, I'm good. You know, can we live without them now? I don't even have a phone on my desk anymore. And so he talks about that 10 year cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're heading with the digital market. And when I said to him, well, where do you think it's gonna be in 10 years? You know, he, I think his image is you go to your laptop, you log in, you go to your favorite brand broker, marketplace, whatever, and you say, hey, what's what's cool today? Um, I just heard about this great medical device that's a diabetes pump and they're private and I want to put some money in that company. And the company may be available for investment or maybe not. Um, and maybe you own some shares and you go, hey, I want to sell my shares and you just list them for sale. So I think that's where we may be headed. I do, I'm not, you know, naive to know that there's some real major challenges
0: before we get to that
1: point, but Hey, you know, look at the mobile phone. Uh,
0: Well, the mobile phone brings back some beautiful memories. Uh, That big brick uh, thing that we used to And then I'm also thinking, you know, I can log in to an account. I will mention names, but I can log into an account and trade like 60 different, 600 different crypto um, currencies. Yep. Coins, right? And heck, these, these startups have more data and more evidence of performance than these coins do. So the, it would seem to me that the uh, the argument about having proper regulations or requirements needs to start there if they want to make some, some fixes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think what, what people struggle with is disclosure. So if you're a private company, you can say, look, I don't have to tell you anything. I'm a private company. And mm-hmm. you can hide behind that and if you're a public company you know you're telling everybody everything all the time up the wazoo you could almost argue it's way too much so there's where that massive difference is and if you're an investor I, I don't know if you want to go buy apple stock how much are you going to read about apple stock before you call you know schwab or fidelity or whoever and say hey i want to buy 10 shares of apple stock you're not going to read copious amounts of information yeah. but i think that the, it you know it's not available in the private market unless you're the right person. So I think that's going to be an issue we need to, uh, we need to understand is what's the right amount. You know, the Goldilocks answer there, not too much, not too little. Just <laughs> right. um, we're going to need that. We need to get, get to that point. So people can do those things.
0: Okay. Well, Corinne, this is a, a great book, a great topic, a theme that I think deserves a lot more amplification. Um, any final thoughts about the book or who needs to read it?
1: Um, well, I certainly think it's helpful for anybody who's, who's involved in the ecosystem. I think the regulators, hopefully, you know, we'll send it, we're going to be sending some copies out to some of the folks in Washington. So, you know, maybe a staffer will read it and get some good ideas. Um, but I would, I would say, don't give up the hope. And I would say certainly participate, but if I can leave your listeners with one final lesson, I would just encourage them. If you're starting a company, even if you're two guys and a dog in a garage in Palo Alto, use Estrella, get your cap table on Estrella so that there's no issues down the road, even two people. It's not too soon. Um, don't use a spreadsheet. Uh, you know whatever I can can say. I've seen too many issues in my career where later you will thank me that you did this. So that is the one thing I want to leave your listeners with.
0: Oh, you know that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing it because, you know, I do speak to the entrepreneur a lot, and I feel like um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of these entrepreneurs haven't, you know, been around a cap table before and think they've got the 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 full solution. So, Thanks for that. Thanks for that great advice. Thanks for the great read, um, and your time today. I know your it's valuable. And uh, get out there and enjoy all that other fun things you have on your calendar. We'll do. Have a good weekend. All right. Go Niners. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Look Back. We do appreciate your support. Welcome any feedback, and would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and even consider sharing it with some of your friends. For more information and other cool info, check us out at newmanmediastudios.com.